This is an exciting month for our short-term missions teams at Grace. This week, we have a group of brothers and sisters ministering in Lima, Peru. They'll be working with our partners there to serve and bless families in the rural areas of Peru, as well as doing some urban outreach right there in the city of Lima. They'll be on the ground doing mission work all week. So let's remember to keep them in our prayers as they share the gospel in word and deed with our neighbors far to the south. And later this month, we'll wave goodbye to our Uganda medical team. This group once again will be working with our ministry partners in Jinja and Palace, Uganda, to provide top-notch medical care to hundreds of people in those cities. This has been an ongoing trip for our church for more than a decade, and God has used our team's generosity and compassion to open countless doors for Jesus in Uganda. Let's all be in prayer for both of these teams this month. Let's pray that each member would be willing to follow God into whatever path he's laid out for them on these adventures. And let's pray for the hearts of the people in Peru and Uganda to be prepared for the work that the Holy Spirit is going to do through our brothers and sisters who are headed their way this month. Right now, we're putting the finishing touches on plans for the first 2020 Vision campaign work at Grace Latham. Phase one at Half Moon is completed, praise God, and we're so grateful to him for how he's used each of us to make that expansion a reality. Now it's time to start work on our first project in phase two. And as we prepare for demo to begin and the kids celebration hallway at Grace Latham to become a reality, let's remember to be in prayer for every aspect of this campaign. Not just for the work that will be done here locally, but for the work that this campaign will support around the world. As you can see, our overall giving total for the 2020 Vision Campaign continues to grow. And remember that we've made the commitment that for every dollar we spend on project cost, we'll give 10% of that amount for humanitarian aid. We've been able to see God use our gifts to do some amazing things in Uganda, in India, and Lebanon, and we're far from finished. God is good. And as we continue to give, Grace Fellowship will continue to make an impact for the kingdom of God, both here in the capital region and around the world. And now I'm going to hand things off to Pastor Rex, who will be preaching part two of this current sermon series. Today's message is called, How Will God Guide Me? Pastor Rex. All right, that's an awesome update, and we thank God. We thank God for all that is going on with the 2020 vision. Well, last weekend we kicked off an exciting new series uh, called Fear of Missing Out, How to Know God's Plan. And I want you to know the feedback, whoo, has been off the charts. It's really, really encouraging because so many of you have said, look, this is the series for me. But certainly one of the things I said last week that got the most feedback and comments was when I reminded you of Forrest Gump theology. Remember that? Life is like a box of chocolates, right? You never know what you're going to get. Well, guess what I got this week? <laughs> I got a box of chocolates with a cute little note on it. And the little note, which uh, is no longer here, someone just pulled it off, I guess, but it said, Rex, the box of chocolates comes with a map. So does life. So I guess it's no longer a random box of chocolates, right? They show you what you're going to get. And sometimes God does as well. So as we continue today in this series, I want to see a show of hands. And notice my hand is already up here, okay? But I'd like to see a show of hands, all of our locations, please, 
if you have sometimes struggled at least a little bit to know what God was telling you to do. Could I see your hand, please? I just want to get a sense. Thank you. Just hold it up a moment. All right. Wow. It is really a universal Christian experience. Well, I think you're going to be encouraged today. Not only amazed at the principles that come right out of this text we're going to study from Acts 15 and 16. But also, I believe you're going to walk away encouraged as you realize that someone as godly and as used by God as the Apostle Paul sometimes struggled with knowing exactly what God wanted him to do. So on this Mother's Day weekend, let's jump in and begin to look at this together. The first principle is this. God directs us, this may be a shocker, through our difficulties and failures. And I want to go back into chapter 15 to kind of catch this part of the story. You could call them the dream team of missionaries. Yes, their names were Paul and Barnabas. And as they went on what has been called the first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul, God did awesome things. Churches were started. Believers were born into the kingdom. They grounded these believers in the word of God. And so now some time has passed. And Paul says to Barnabas, look, why don't we go back and visit all the brothers and sisters we got to know and see how they're doing, okay? And so look at what happened next. This was noble. It was God-honoring. Great, great plan, right? Verse 37 of chapter 15. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Now, no one knows why John Mark had deserted. There's all kinds of theories. Some think he had a girlfriend back home. Some think he was just homesick. Maybe it had a pampered upbringing or something. Some believe that he was actually a bit ticked off because his cousin Barnabas, who used to be the number one leader on the team, was now taking a back seat to Paul on the team. We don't know what it was, but Paul saw it as downright desertion. Barnabas, the cousin of young John Mark, saw it as, well, he's a young man who made a bad decision. Let's give him some grace. He needs another chance. And Barnabas resented what he saw as Paul's stubborn rejection of the young man. Verse 39 says, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left. Now, the Greek word, paroxysmos, is the word we get the English word paroxysm from. That word means a violent convulsion of emotions. What God is saying to us here is this was no little tiff. This was a serious argument, and it didn't go well. And I'm empathetic with both men, Paul and Barnabas. Both have valid points, but the truth is, Christian leaders, no matter how godly they may be, can be prickly at times and kind of hard to get along with. And these two giants of the faith split up and went their separate ways. Now I want you to appreciate what this means. Paul is losing contact 
with the man he owes more to in this world than any other person. Because when no Christian would accept Paul, Barnabas is the one who reached out to him, put his arms around him and said, come on, you belong in this team. And Barnabas is losing touch with arguably the greatest apostle for Christ of all time. And here's the deal. There's no little bow on this that says, and they all lived happily ever after. This was ugly. It was an undeniable failure of two of the greatest Christians the church has ever known. But are you still listening? God used it. God didn't cause it. But he used it. And both of the men went on to fruitful ministries. See, here's something we need to learn. When our hearts are bent toward the Lord and his glory, failure is seldom fatal. We need to understand that. God can redeem the messes of our lives. In fact, it's often through our failures that God spurs us on to more creativity and effectiveness. In the preaching world, Phillips Brooks is one of the most respected names of all times. He gave a definition of preaching called truth through personality. Those three words are the most popular definition of preaching ever. Phillips Brooks was greatly respected as a pastor and preacher. But do you know what? Before he became so famous and respected, he was a failure. He absolutely failed as a school teacher. The school actually fired him. He didn't like the students, and they certainly didn't like him. And after his termination, Brooks wrote, wrote, I do not know what will become of me, and I do not care much. I wish I were 15 years old again. I believe I might become a stunning man. But somehow or other, I do not seem in the way to come to much now. Success is wonderful, but you can learn more from failure. Success is a wonderful thing, but if you will allow failure to be your teacher, you can learn far more from it than you do success. Now, next weekend, I just want to make a plug for this again. We're going to dive head first into this question, what do I do when I've blown it? And boy, that's all of us. In one way or another, maybe you've blown it at marriage or blown it at relationships or just totally wiped out with your family or maybe you just tanked out morally and went hit rock bottom or you missed that big opportunity vocationally is your life doomed to mediocrity are you going to be a part of a boring b-grade movie now forever when you could have starred in a blockbuster how does god view all of that we're going to look at that next week i want you to be a part of that but you see, for Paul, adversity was a stepping stone, not a stumbling block. And later he wrote to the Corinthian Christians in 2 Corinthians 4. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. And this new dynamite missionary team that you're about to see develop all happen as a result of disappointment and failure. And if we have ears to hear, God can use our difficulties to help us grow. The second principle I want you to ponder with me is that God directs us through closed doors. Paul and Barnabas split up. 
Paul gets a new missionary partner, Silas, and they start off together. Soon, a young man named Timothy joins the team. And Timothy becomes like a son to Paul, a son in the faith. He calls him that later in the letters he writes. And somewhere along the way, they add this medical doctor named Dr. Luke to the team. And he's the one who kept a journal. He's the one who physically, the human author he was, of Luke and Acts that are in your New Testament. We pick it up in Acts 16, verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia. And catch this next phrase. It's very interesting. Having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Now, Asia there is not Asia as we think of it today. It's not the Far East. Asia was a little province in the region where they're trying to go. Now, what in the world does that phrase mean? Having been kept by the Holy Spirit from it. It means they had tried to do it. They tried to preach, but the Lord kept putting up roadblocks of some kind. We read on. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia. And catch this next phrase. But the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. Now what in the world is this restraint of a closed door that God is putting in their way? Again, the theories are many. Some believes it was just a heavy heart about the idea. Some believes it was a lack, believe it was a lack of peace. Others think that... God gave them transportation problems or maybe even physical illness was the issue, especially for Paul. Seemed to have a number of issues. Now for you who like a little bit more Bible nerdiness, I'm going to give you a little piece of Bible nerdiness here, all right? Some of you will go, what does this have to do with the price of tea in China? But for people who really like to dig deep into the nuances, you may like this. Many scholars believe that it's about this time that Dr. Luke joined the missionary team because if you read the book of Acts up to this point, the first 15 chapters, when he's giving a narrative about what was happening, he consistently uses third person plural, they, they, they did this, they did that. Because, it is believed, he had been told about that later. He wasn't personally present. But starting in verse 10 of Acts 16, the they changes to first person plural, we. And consistently from then on, whenever he's giving a narrative, he doesn't say they anymore, he says we. Which strongly suggests that he was now physically present with the team. Into the Bible nerdiness, some of you will love that. It may make a difference in the way you read the book of Acts and the insights you get into it. But whatever this restraint was, God powerfully guided them through closed doors. Now, brothers and sisters, listen carefully. One of the greatest blessings you're going to receive in heaven is when God pulls back the curtain of your life and reminds you and shows you some of the closed doors and what would have happened had you walked through that door. He's going to show you all the times he protected you. And God will say lovingly and encouragingly, look, if I'd allowed you to go through that door, this would have been the result. 
and your heart is going to brim with gratitude for all the times that God loved you so much he was willing to close some doors. Has God ever guided you through closed doors? Before I met Debbie, there was a girl that I dated sort of on and off for about three years. And we grew rather close. We worked for a Christian organization. Both loved the Lord, both seeking God's will in our lives. And I proposed marriage to her. And I was about to make the biggest mistake of my life. But God bailed me out through a closed door. God led her to say no to my marriage proposal. It crushed my ego. But it was the best thing that ever happened to me up to that point. Sometime later, through circumstances and time, God introduced me to Debbie, who was a far, far better choice for me. And as I look back on my life today, I thank God for the blessing of guidance through closed doors. It's painful at the time, but it can be one of God's greatest blessings. And that's what God did for Paul and the team here in Acts 16. They kept wanting to go north. They kept wanting to preach here or enter that territory. God closed the door and said, no, we're going to go west. And finally, he guided them through closed doors where they, where they needed to be. How will God guide me? Here's a third principle. God directs us through special revelation as well as careful reasoning. Let's read on here. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we, there's your first we passage, okay, where Luke is now included in the narrative. It's no longer they, it's we. We got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now think about this. They're doing their journey, but they keep hitting roadblocks. And suddenly, Paul has a weird, spectacular vision. A man in the vision is calling, come over here and help us. Come over to Macedonia. And they act on that vision. Verse 11, from Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day, on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. Now, when I speak of special revelation, I know that makes some of you nervous. And I understand that. I've noticed through the years as a pastor that we tend to fall in the Christian community into kind of one of two extreme camps. There is one camp of Christians, wonderful Christians, who believe that God never does anything spectacular anymore except save people. That's about it. He doesn't really break in in other ways and do spectacular things anymore. And you know what? He probably never will for them because they're not open to it, really. If it's God or garlic, God or garlic, which is it? They're always going to go with the garlic, okay? Believing if it's spectacular, it's probably not God. 
But then I noticed there's another camp of Christians in the Christian community, wonderful Christians, who believe that because sometimes God breaks in and gives spectacular, crystal clear guidance, that that ought to be the norm. And you should have a miracle a day before breakfast. And if you sit down and listen to them, and I know many people like this through the years, they'll tell stories like this. Yeah, I was going down the road and suddenly an angel came and sat on the hood of my car and said, you're going down the wrong road. And so I turned around. Or they'll say, you know, Jesus visits me probably an average of once a week in my bedroom and we just have my own little personal epiphany there with the Lord and it's so encouraging and he just speaks kind words to me and and then I just kind of wave goodbye and the Lord goes, well, you're listening to stories like this and I'm going, man, I must be a spiritual lightweight. Things like this never happen to me. Go figure. I must be a spiritual louse. What's wrong with me? Now I want to be helpful to you. If you regularly have angels sitting on the hood of your car giving you direction, you'd better be careful trying to be helpful who you share that with because even if that is honestly happening in real time and space and it's not just in your mind still people are gonna think you're nuts so be careful with that is all I'm saying and as one who passionately and I do passionately believe that God is still involved today in our lives supernaturally I would urge you to be open to and even expect the intervention of God, but don't demand it. Do you hear that? That would be the stance I would urge you to have. I think it's a balanced one. Be open to the supernatural guidance and intervention of God, but don't be in a demanding posture. Listen, every crazy idea you have is not God. It may be the pepperoni you ate last night. So just... Just be aware of that, okay? Just a few weeks, and again, I'll make a plug for this here. We're going to spend a whole message looking at how God speaks through his word, the Bible, and how we can best understand that. It's all going to be about the Bible that day. And the reason we're going to have that message is because I actually have some Christians say to me, well, Pastor, God never speaks to me. And I want to hold a Bible up in their face and go, what about this? This is quite a bit of speaking, don't you think? It's actually more than most of us can really handle. And God has spoken in incredible ways through his word. We need to know how to access that. that. But listen, you can study the Bible for eight hours a day and you will not get direct guidance from it, direct guidance on whether or not you should take that promotion in Cleveland or whom you should marry or which school you should put your child in. But the Bible will give you principles and precepts to help you make those decisions more effectively. But always, always, always go to the scriptures first. Now I said God directs through special revelation. Spectacular ways. But he also does it through careful reasoning. Where does the reasoning come in? That word in your Bible, translated in the NIV, concluding, is a word that means to coalesce or knit together. Here's what it means. This apostle team, Paul and the others, 
sat down together, get this, they thought about the vision Paul had, spectacular. They thought about these closed doors and restraint that God had used. They thought about the difficulties and failures of the past. They put all these pieces together and they made a rational deduction. Maybe God wants us to go to Europe. And that's exactly how they made that decision. And thank God they did because it was a turning point in history. In fact, I want to tell you, for those of us who are Gentiles, that's me, that's most of you non-Jewish people, this was the first entrance of the gospel of Jesus into what we call the Western world. And God guided them through difficulties and failures and closed doors and careful reasoning and spectacular supernatural ways. And he'll do the same for us. The fourth principle here is really important. If you're asking how, do, how will God guide me, God gives game plans more than blueprints. Now here's what I've discovered as a pastor just in talking to lots of people. The issue of God's guidance for many Christians is paralyzing. It is. And if that's you, it may be that like many people with whom I've spoken, you think about, look, I need all the details of God's plan and I dare not make a move unless I have all the details because I'm afraid I'm really going to make a bad mistake here. And so I'm going to sit on my hands and do nothing unless I have all the details of his guidance. My hope is that this principle is going to set a lot of people free today from anxiety. God gives game plans more than blueprints. Now, how many of you know, or you've at least seen, you know what I'm talking about when I say a blueprint? Could I see your hand, please? Please raise your hand if you know what a blueprint is. Okay, thank you. Big thing to know about blueprints, if you've never seen one, is they're detailed. They are very precise. They show you exactly how many feet, how many inches, how many centimeters something is supposed to be. And if you're constructing a house or whatever, you need an accurate and very detailed blueprint. And when it comes to God's guidance, that's what most of us want, right? A blueprint. Lord, the year 2020 is coming. Sounds like a pretty strategic year, 2020. I want it to be awesome. Lord, would you show me your blueprint for the year 2020? And God, being pretty smart, doesn't usually give us blueprints. You know why? Because if he did, we'd say, Lord, no thanks. I think I'll skip 2020. Because we'd see some things in the blueprint that are depressing. We'll go, gee, I want to avoid that. That should never be a part of the blueprint. Folks, I want to tell you there are more downsides to knowing future details than upsides. So a game plan, on the other hand, is very general. In the sports world, a game plan in football might sound something like this. We're going to pass a lot on this team. Because although they've got a really solid front line, their secondary is really weak. And we believe we can exploit that. We see this as a game where we're going to pass a lot. Now that is a game plan. But even in a game plan, it's not telling everybody what they're supposed to do on every play. And the 
quarterback can still come up to the line of scrimmage and call what's called audibles for you non-football people. An audible means the quarterback has the right to change the play right at the line of scrimmage. No matter what the game plan is, there's an understanding that you have to adjust according to your circumstances. As the boxer Mike, Mike Tyson famously said, everybody has a game plan until they get hit, right? And that's his humorous way of saying, we have to adjust to changing circumstances along the way. God gives us a game plan, but he seldom gives all the details like a blueprint would. Now listen, what I'm telling you right now is huge if you can wrap your brain around this principle and accept it it will reduce your stress alleviate anxiety and help you to navigate life much much more effectively so how did this work for Paul and his team when Paul went on missionary journeys he had a game plan you know what his game plan was he got it from Jesus going to all the world and make disciples <laughs> and he had a little nuance to it that was true for him in his game plan. He said, I always had the ambition to preach the gospel where Christ had not been preached, so I would not be building on someone else's foundation. That was it. That was his direction. But he had no blueprint. As I read the book of Acts carefully and the letters of Paul, it seems to me they were kind of making it up as they went, honestly. How did they choose the towns they were going to go to? Usually because it was kind of logical and it just made sense. It's close by. It's easy. Occasionally there would be an interjection of supernatural guidance and they would take that into account and let them help them guide, guide them. But mostly it was just, how did he know how to leave a town? Because they almost killed him. Yeah. He would reason, you know, if I stay here another day, I may be a dead apostle. I think it's time to go to Thessalonica. That's kind of the way it went. He had direction, but not details. And I think the same is going to be true for you and me. Direction is often fairly easy. Details are harder. Let me illustrate from my own life. Up on the screens right now, you have a god-awful picture of me from 1981. This is March of 1981. I'm a college student, a junior in college. And my school newspaper did a feature article in the newspaper about this junior at, at this college, Carson Newman, that was doing this memorization project, memorizing the New Testament. And so they asked me lots of questions and so on. And we're going to get a close-up now. Do you see that section that says, I'm going to be either an evangelist or a religion professor? Wow. What I meant by that was, and that's what I fully planned, I'm either going to be a full-time itinerant evangelist preaching the gospel, or... I'm going to be a professor in a seminary. And here I am 38 years later, and I'm a pastor. What went wrong? Nothing went wrong. I had direction, but not details. I had a game plan, but not a blueprint. The game plan was, God had given me a love for the Bible. 
And I knew that whatever I did to make a living, I was going to be sharing the Bible. I was going to be teaching it, preaching it, sharing the gospel. I knew that beyond a shadow of a doubt. That was my direction. Nothing was going to deter me from that. But I had no idea that I would end up in Albany, New York. At Grace Fellowship. That, that was... I had no idea what the details of the plan would be. Listen, direction is enough. If there's something I could just get into your soul today, it would be this principle. Direction is enough. God can steer moving vehicles pretty well. He's good at that. If you have a God-honoring direction, he'll work out the details as you walk with him. Just get to know your guide really well. That's the key. Get to know your guide really well. That's exactly what we see in the experience of Paul. He knew he was going on a missionary journey. He had no idea he'd have a new partner named Silas. He had no idea that his young guy Timothy would join the team or that Dr. Luke would join the team. And he certainly didn't know all the cities they would go to or all the situations they would be in. We stress over details. God delights in giving direction. That's what he cares about the most. Be on journey with him. You don't need to know the details. In fact, you don't want to know the details. You might try to mutiny on this trip. Follow him. Get to know your guide. Principle number five. Potholes and bumps in the road don't necessarily mean I'm on the wrong road. Wow. This is one of the hardest principles for Christians to grasp. Just because the road is rough doesn't necessarily mean I'm on the wrong one. Now this Acts 16 passage, I don't know how you feel about it, but I love this passage. That's why I wanted to kind of start with it in our second message here in the series. Because to me, it is loaded with great principles. God guided them in all kinds of ways to Philippi. And what happened in Philippi? Wow. They met some women down by the river there. Lydia was one of them. She became the hostess for the church. A wealthy woman and she was the host there and this wonderful church got started and people came into the faith and began to follow Jesus. And, and guess what? Afterwards, when Paul wrote back to them, we got a book in our Bible called Philippians. Because he was writing back to the people in Philippi. And you know what else? When you read Philippians in chapter 4, you discover, wow, this was the only church that consistently supported Paul financially throughout his ministry. Is that a good gig or what? God guides you, it's awesome, you get to Philippi, you wake up with plenty of resources, a great church, lots of blessings, that's what I want when I'm walking in God's will. But there's more to the story. Move on down to verse 22. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, and let me just remind you what that meant, the Jews were merciful with floggings. They would not go beyond 39 lashes. This is a Roman colony. They didn't care. 
breathing, not breathing, who cares? We're just gonna, we're just gonna flog you severely. And they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. And what that meant is they would not be able to even shift positions. Imagine how excruciating that would be. How do you like God's will now? Well, they're living the dream, aren't they? Woo! Is that what you call the abundant life? God, if this is what you let happen to your friends, no wonder you don't seem to have many. Huh? I thought God's will was good, pleasing, and perfect, according to Romans 12. What is this about? How do you explain this? Are you still listening? They're in the very center of God's will in that moment. Potholes and bumps don't necessarily mean I'm on the wrong road. Adversity is a stepping stone to greater things. And as you read on, because Paul and Silas understood that, they responded in a remarkable way. Look at verse 25 with me. About midnight, Paul and Silas were griping and complaining to God about the treatment they had received. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I messed up some words there a little bit. I must be reading from that heresy version again. Um, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Whoa. Praying and singing. They could sing because they, were knew, they knew they were right where God wanted them painful as it was the only way to the mountaintop is through the valley and one of the tragedies of so many christians is that we're going down this road and god has given us this guidance and we're pretty sure we're on the road he wants us on we've got his direction he's working out the details we're getting to know our guide really well and then we start hitting these bumps and these potholes and life becomes uncomfortable. And instead of staying on the road, understanding this is often very normal, we want to bail out. We want to bail out on the marriage. We want to bail out on the small group where we're getting challenged in our life. We want to bail out on relationships. We want to bail out on that career path. We want to bail out on our integrity when God wants us often to keep going down that road. Just because we're uncomfortable doesn't necessarily mean we're on the wrong road. And there's one final principle as we wrap up. God gives more light when we obey the light we already have. That's exactly what Paul did here, by the way. To the best of his ability, he followed the light God had given him, but God didn't give him more details than he needed until he needed them. I've often made the statement at Grace that we, as professing Christians, so many of us, are educated far beyond our obedience. Is that true of you? Is there some area of your life where God has said, God has said I want you to stop this, or, or an area where he says, I want you to start doing this. 
Or is there an area where God says, I want you to accelerate what you're doing here or diminish what you're doing? My question is simply this. Have you obeyed? The continual, clear, encouraging, God-honoring guidance the Lord gives us on this journey only happens as we continue to walk in obedience. I grew up singing a hymn that I still enjoy today and occasionally sing in my quiet times. He leadeth me, O blessed thought. Oh, I love the words of this. He leadeth me, O blessed thought, O words with heavenly comfort fraught. Whate'er I do, where'er I be, still tis God's hand that leadeth me. When you obey the light he gives you, you know what? He gives you more light, more light, more light. But when we disobey, the light becomes dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. And I urge you, whatever that step is that God is showing you, take that step with him today. What an awesome life it is. It is exhilarating to be on journey with God into the future that he has for you. Father, thank you for this amazing passage, Acts 16, and all the ways that you guided Paul and Silas and their missionary companions. Thank you that you guide us as well, Lord. You show us the way. You give us light for our steps, and we are so grateful. And we just especially want to thank you today for things like closed doors where you protect us, and we don't even understand it at the time. Thank you that you give us game plans more than blueprints. And help us, Lord, to learn to walk by faith, step by step with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.